Amen. Let's stand for the reading of God's Word. It's good to see you this morning in the house of the Lord. Amen. We've had a wonderful uh, week thus far with the Feast of Tabernacles. If you're wondering what we're doing with the palm branches, and if you're wondering here saying, what are these crazy people doing? We are keeping the feast of the Lord that he commanded in Leviticus 23. It's really a rehearsal. Everybody in here is going to wave palm branches one day. You may not have done it this morning, but you're going to do it in Revelation. He said he saw every kindred, nation, tongue, and creed around the throne of God holding palm branches in their hand and saying, blessed is he. And so we just, we're, we're just practicing for that. Amen. I, uh, I guess Wednesday night, if you miss that, we, Brother Ben James and I tag teamed. And then it's been just unusual. I didn't really have it all planned out. And then Thursday night, uh, Clint, uh, didn't he do an awesome job, Ashley, of uh, delivering the word? And then Friday night, Aaron and Sandra back there, hey, wave at us, uh, uh, Crestview, Florida, our spiritual son and daughter, they uh, ministered uh, powerfully. And then last night, worship uh, service. I know a lot of us were down in uh, Florida there at uh, uh, Andy and Katrina's son uh, wedding and celebrating that wonderful event in their lives. And uh, we're just glad to see you this morning. Amen. I want to uh, go to the word this morning in Numbers, the 23rd chapter in verse 20. And before I read this one verse, I just want to give you just a little bit of background. It's pretty familiar to most of us that read this word. Uh, it is the story of Balak, who really is an enemy to the children of Israel. Uh, he's not wanting them to be in the land. And he's wanting to hire, literally, uh, the prophet of God, the prevailing prophet at that time, Balaam, to come and curse God's people so that they will be cursed and not blessed. And so that is uh, the verse that we're going to read. That's part of the conversation, and we'll, we'll unpack that as we go. But I'm talking this morning about the commanded blessing, the commanded blessing. Now, a lot of times I hear preachers use this title, and they talk about the commanded blessing, and they go to the book of Deuteronomy, the 28th chapter, because there we find listed all the blessings of God there, and it says you'll be the head and not the tail above and not beneath, and it talks about all those wonderful blessings. But what nobody ever reads is verses 1, 2, and 3, and, and, and verses throughout that chapter that all of those blessings are contingent upon your obedience and uh, you have to fully it says and to all those that have it says if you fully obey the commands of the Lord and keep all of his commandments do you know how many commandments he has not 10 613 so he said you'd have to fully keep all of the commandments of God and if you fully obey and keep all the commandments then those blessings you can claim them now who wants to read 28 of Deuteronomy? <laughs> who wants to get excited about I'm the head, not the tail? And if you wonder, you know, why that you've always quoted that and said I'm the head, not the tail, but you always knew you really was the tail, not the head. Because the tail gets kicked and the head gets patted, and you know which was happening to you more. Y'all don't shout me down when I'm preaching good. Welcome to Grace Point, hallelujah. And why didn't that work for us? Why would we quote those scriptures and yet many of us that would quote them felt like that it was kind of in vain that we quoted them? 
it was hard to believe that they'd really work. Because if you actually read that chapter, it said the only way those blessings are yours is you had to keep all the commandments of God. And it says there God would command the blessing to be upon your house and upon all that you, but see, but the, there's a contingency. There's always that big if, if you obey, if you faithfully keep all. So I'm not interested in reading that and trying to claim those because I know that I've not kept all the commandments of God all of my life. And neither have you. Neither, neither has anybody in the building. Now, those commandments are pretty awesome. I mean, if you just read the commandments and kind of lay aside that you had to keep all the rules in order to get them, that's where it says the blessings of the Lord would overtake you. You ever just been run over by a blessing? See, the blessing that we have commanded on us today is not contingent upon us. Our obedience, our righteousness, our holiness, or anything that we would do or have done. All of our blessings now is because of covenant that God made with himself in regard to us. And so we're not in that covenant agreement in the sense that it was between God and his son Jesus. So therefore you can't mess it up because you're not in the covenant. But if you put your faith in the one who is in the covenant, who is Jesus, then all the blessings that is his are now yours because he was fully obedient. He kept all the commandments of God. He never failed the Lord. He is sinless. He is perfect. He is spotless. And he's my elder brother. He's my savior. Amen? And so we just got to know that. Deuteronomy, I mean, Numbers 23, verse 20 says, Behold, I have received a command to bless. He has blessed, and I cannot reverse it. That's Balaam talking, and, and so listen, most Christians, they don't have an understanding of the permanence of the blessing. They, they, they pray, just listen to how Christians pray. They, they're always praying and asking God to bless them, even in this house. And I know a lot of us have got stuff that we still haven't got all wrung out of us, of that old covenant, that old because in the old covenant, all the blessings of God was contingent upon what we did. And then if we kept the commandments, then God would bless us. But in the new covenant, let me tell you something. You'll never find anyone saying, bless me, Lord. The prayer of Jabez was good for Jabez. But that prayer is not good for us today. And I know that bothers you because you spent the money on the book. And I'm not saying it's a demonic prayer, but Jabez... And all the people of the Old Covenant had no understanding of the grace of God because it hadn't been revealed yet because Jesus hadn't came. And so Jabez said, Lord, bless me. Bless me. See, the only reason you'd ask God to bless you is because you didn't think he was. But you'll find not one person, no apostle, no person in the New Testament ever saying, Lord, bless me. And I know you think I just lied to you. Search it out. You'll find nobody says, please bless me, O God. Oh, Lord, bless me. It doesn't exist in the New Testament because you're blessed already. And if I can help you today through the message of grace to get you to understand and believe. Because, see, it's not the truth that makes you free. It's the truth that you know. In other words, the truth that you know that has become intimately a part of who you are, that truth will make you free. And there's a big difference in getting up every day and asking God to bless you and getting up every day knowing that you are the blessed of the Lord. Because those two people live totally different lives. Their prayer language is different. Their expectation is different. 
Their joy is different. Their peace is different. Everything's different. And I'm trying to get you to see the truth of what Jesus accomplished at the cross, that you are the blessed of the Lord. Jesus became a curse so you and I could be blessed. Galatians 3.13 says that, 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 that Jesus has redeemed us from the curse of the law of sin and death. And, and most people just end it right there. Because then it says in parentheses, because cursed is every man who hangs upon the tree. But Jesus was cursed so that we could be blessed. But we forget why he was cursed because Galatians 3.13 is not the whole sentence. There's a comma. Verse 14 says, so that the blessings of Abraham. The reason he was cursed is so that all the blessings of Abraham would come upon the Gentiles. In Christ Jesus. Through faith in him. That's the reason Jesus became a curse, that the blessings of Abraham. And Abraham is a type and a shadow of a person who's not living, because Abraham didn't live under the law. Abraham predated the law, and Abraham lived in a day that preceded the law, because the law didn't come until the lawgiver came, and that was Moses. So Abraham existed before the law ever came, and God dealt with him as if there was no law, because there, in fact, was not. So God did not hold Abraham's sins against him. He didn't count his sins against him. And I'm going to show you something today that even in the time of Balaam, when the law was in force, God still, when it comes to the blessing, the blessings are permanent. And even under the law, when it comes to blessing, God will not retrieve the blessing. I had a lady, I was writing that article we wrote some weeks ago about the hurricane and the judgment of God. A lady wrote in, you know, replied to me and said, yeah, she was trying to straighten me out. She was telling me, yeah, when you sin, God lifts his hand. You'll never find that in the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. God has never lifted his hand of blessing off of anyone at any time, pre-law, during law, and post-law. He has never lifted his hand. If you'll search out those phrases, lifting the hand, God lifting his hand, the only time that God ever lifted his hand is when Jesus led them out as far as Bethany in his resurrected body. And the Bible said the Lord lifted his hand and he blessed them. What was he blessing them with? With the new covenant that he had just accomplished in his death, burial, and resurrection. God will only lift his hand to bless you. He'll never lift his hand off of you. God's blessed you. You're the blessed of the Lord. Man, if I'm preaching this good on the introduction, just imagine what it's going to be like. Woo! Look over at the person to your right. Tell them you're the blessed of the Lord. And when you do that, then go to the left and tell that person on your left, you're the blessed of the Lord. You're the blessed of the Lord. Come on, give God praise. Come on, give him praise before you sit down. Father, we thank you. Amen. You can be seated. Man, I was thinking this morning, I said, God, if I was to live a hundred lives as a preacher, I could never begin to exhaust messages and sermons about the good news that I find in this book. This book is filled with good news. And I just like, God, I just, if I lived a hundred lives, I could never preach all the things of your goodness that I see in your word. That most Christians don't understand that when God blessed Adam and Eve in the garden, he, he, he blessed mankind. He says that in Genesis 5 and 2. I know they don't have it back there, but God said in Genesis 5 and 2, he created them, male and female. And he blessed them, and he called them mankind in the day they were created. And, and there God put the blessing on mankind, 
And even when man sinned, God never removed or retrieved. I've even heard people lie and say that God cursed man. God has never cursed man. When Adam and Eve sinned, the Bible said the ground was cursed. God never would curse his own creation because if God cursed man, he'd be cursing himself and he'd be cursing Jesus because out of man, Jesus, his Messiah, his son would come. God didn't curse man. God's never cursed you. And God has never lifted his blessing off of mankind. Man has not been able to to enjoy the blessing of God because they haven't believed in it. Uh, Most people pray for God to bless them like as if God's blessings fade away or that his blessings come and go or that his blessings are based on our obedience or our performance or our righteousness which we have none or our holiness or our own uh, good benevolent deeds that we've done no no God has blessed you and he never will never has removed that blessing this is really what Clint was sharing about uh, Thursday night and uh, I was actually prepared and was going to preach that Thursday night this is I'm preaching today uh because I didn't know, I had just asked Clint to share. I, as I said Thursday night, I didn't know if Clint was going to share five minutes, two minutes, you know, 20 minutes. And, and, and I told you that we're here Thursday night. I said, if you could have seen the message that I had prepared, it, it, I mean, you would think me and him got together and got in cahoots on that deal and, and said, Let, you know, say this. I didn't tell him what to say. And so he stood before Thursday night as a living example, as a, as a epistle read of all men, that, that he has came to the revelation that he is now blessed of the Lord. That he has the mind of Christ. That he has been forgiven of all sin, ones he hadn't even committed yet. And that he is righteous before God. And not just in God's sight like God's playing games with his eyes, but he is really righteous. And so he lives as a righteous man. And out of that righteous revelation, he knows that the prayers of a righteous man availeth much. He knows that the steps of a righteous man are ordered by the Lord. So he's like we talked about Wednesday, those four lepers. All you got to do is just stop sitting there until you die. Just get up and walk towards what you need. And don't believe the lie there's an enemy there because when you get there, there ain't going to be no enemy there because Jesus took care of your enemy on the cross. And all you're going to find is tents full of wine and food and clothing and shelter and everything, silver and gold, that you'll ever need has already been provided for you. You just have to have enough faith. To not believe the lies of the world and the media and all of that. And just get up and take a step in faith toward the goodness of God. And you'll receive what grace has provided. One thing this shows me, this story is amazing. I don't have time to, to go through that whole story of Balaam being uh, solicited by Balak to curse God's people. I want to tell you one thing this absolutely proves, though, is that what, what, what weapon is Balaam going to use to curse God's people? And apparently it's going to work. This, this, this king, Balak, is prepared to give him, you know, literally millions of dollars in our economy today. Just bless him with really anything that he wants. And, uh, but what weapon will Balaam use? Words. And what this shows us, and this is a whole other message in itself, but it shows us the power of our words. Proverbs 18 and 20 says that. Uh, 18 and 20 and 21 of Proverbs chapter 18 says, A man's stomach shall be satisfied from the fruit of his mouth. You ever heard you better be keep your words sweet because you might have to eat them? Let me adjust that saying. You, you will have to eat every word. You are eating your words, the fruit of your lips. 
In other words, you are eating what your lips have produced. Now, you're going to get mad, but the world you live in, you framed it by your words. If you don't like the world, you build it. Nothing like making people mad right out of the gate. You can say, I don't believe that. I know you don't. That's why I'm preaching it to you. This is how the kingdom works. This is how God works. In Genesis 1, over and over, you'll find these words, and God said, and God said, and God said, and God said. So God's kingdom is caught in words. The Bible, the word of God, he has sent his word. So the word of God, you say, well, I don't believe, because you and I live in a culture right now in America and have all of our lives, where most of our lives, that people's words don't matter. We, have, we give no value to words. Not only do we not believe the words that people tell us, we don't believe the words that we tell them. We, we don't put any emphasis or power on our words. But Proverbs 18 and 20 says, From the produce of his lips he shall be filled. 21 says, Death and life are in the power of the tongue. That's your only two choices. You don't get death and life and then C, D, E, F. No, no, it's just A or B. So when we speak words, we're either speaking death or we're speaking life. And then you say, well, that's the old covenant scripture. That's Proverbs. Yeah, but in Romans, Paul said, bless and curse not. Paul said, you still have the ability under grace to curse yourself by not believing. So when you, all, all, all when you speak a curse, what you're saying, not, don't, when I say curse, don't think of witches and pointed hats and cauldrons. Think of unbelief. Because you curse yourself if you don't believe the goodness of God and what God has provided for you. And you speak out those things. I mean, even like when Lazarus died, Jesus, you see Jesus seeming to me, he's reluctant to even say that Lazarus is dead. Because he knows the power of words and how that will, will just cause their minds to go to a place that he don't want to go. And he just says, you know, don't worry about Lazarus, he's just sick. He's asleep. They say, well, great, if he's asleep, then he'll be, that shows he's getting better. Jesus is like, ah. That's why they were called, you know, it's like, duh. Duh. That's why they're called duh disciples. <laughs> come on, give me some love for that. I mean, come on. You. <laughs> listen, dull of hearing. Duh. Jesus finally says plainly to him, listen, Lazarus is dead, and I'm glad for your sakes because you're going to see the glory of God manifested. You're going to see that death don't have power over life. You're going to see the kingdom. And, and so death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruit. So Balaam has is, is, is been hired by, and I know when you, when you hear the name Balaam, you think, like, I hate that guy, or that guy's a bum, or that guy's really bad. And, and, and his ministry doesn't end well, but at this time, won't you see, he's the most powerful prophet on the planet. And it shows the power of words. And, and God obviously believes that Balaam has power in his word because God goes to great lengths to prevent him from saying wrong words over his people. So apparently God believes in the power of words. Um, Balaam keeps... Asking Balaam to curse him, Balaam keeps making a kind of a deal with him, and, and, and then, and then, but he, when he speaks, his, he speaks a blessing. 
And then Balak gets mad, and they carry him to another mountain and to another position and to another place, and they keep offering all these uh, seven bullocks and sacrifices, and yet when Balaam opens his mouth, all comes out is blessing. Finally, Balak gets so upset with him, he says, don't even say nothing, good or bad. Just keep your mouth shut. He said, because I hired you to curse them, and every time you open your mouth, you're, all you're doing is bless them. And so he says to him, he says, don't you understand that, that, I, that I've received a command to bless, and I can't reverse it. In verse 19 of Numbers 23, this is where it says, God is not a man that he should lie. So I'm talking to you about you can't reverse God's blessing. So this is the proof of this. It says, God is not a man that he should lie, nor a son of man that he should repent. That means change his mind. Now, what he's talking about here, because I can show you in the Bible where God changed his mind several times. God y'all got like y'all don't even know that. Y'all scare me sometimes. In other words, God said, in 40 days, Nineveh shall be no more. And he used a prophet then named Jonah to declare a word from God. And God said, after 40 days, you won't even be, exist on the map. I'm going to wipe you off the earth. I'm going to destroy you. Did God say that? Sure he did. But when so Jonah goes in and preaches that, the people believe it and repent. God changes his mind. It says he relented. He repented. Same word. See, repentance can't mean of sin because God repented several times in the Old Testament. Repentance, that's a whole other message. It's one of the most misunderstood words in, the, in, 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 our, in our world. We think every time we hear repentance, we think of sin. God repented. It says that. Several times it said God repented. Some translations say God relented. What does it mean? It means he changed the way he thought. Just what it means. Metanoia, he changed the way he thought. God changed his mind. He said, no, I'm not going to destroy him. I'm not going to destroy him. So he changed his mind. So, so here he says God's not a man that he should lie, that he should repent. He has said and he will, will he not do it? Or has he spoken and will he not make it good? Again, now we're talking in context about the blessing. So God will change his mind when it comes to judgment because God doesn't want judgment. Mercy triumphs always over judgment. God wants to bless. God didn't want, even under the law, he didn't want to bring judgment. But when it comes to blessing, God won't let anything, not even your or my sin, mess that up. He says in verse 20, Behold, I have received a command to bless. He has blessed, has blessed, not will bless, has blessed, and I cannot reverse it. Verse 21, he, listen to this, this is amazing. He has not observed iniquity, well, that means sin, in Jacob. Now, this is during the law. This is when people break the law and they die. This is during the law. Yet God says during the law here, he has not observed iniquity in Jacob, nor has he seen wickedness in Israel. The Lord is with him, and the shout of a king is among them. Now, how do you correlate, how do you make sense of that paradox? Because I can show you in the Bible when Moses was receiving the law, he come, God tells him to go down because your people, you brought out of Egypt of sin against me. I can show you that God did see their sin. God did recognize their sin. And on that day, 3,000 people died. It's not like God didn't see their sin. That's the reason that the judgment came. Many times I can show you where under the law that judgment came. Sometime one time sickness started breaking out over the camp. Aaron grabbed a censer and ran between God and the people. and made intercession. So how do you correlate this? Because here he says God doesn't see the sin of Israel. He doesn't see it. 
is in the context and in regard to blessing. When it comes to God removing his blessing, God said, I don't even see your sin. Not even when he, they were under law. I don't see your wickedness. I, I don't see any sin in Israel. In other words, this, to that, this is what our position is right now in Christ Jesus. This is the wonderful thing about the new covenant. It's all in the Bible. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, uh, verses 17 and following. God says, I will not impute their, their sins uh, uh, against them. Hebrews chapter uh, 7 and Hebrews chapter 10 states over and over, God says this wonderful new covenant, this better covenant with better promises. He says, I will remember their sin nor their wickedness no more. So your sin account always has a zero balance. I, I, I was talking to someone the other day and in my conversation with this person, I just said something about, I said the grace message. I said it like that, something about the grace message. Those of us that hang around this, we kind of know what that means. But this person uh, said to me in sincerity, they said, they said, well, you said grace message. They said, isn't everybody preaching the grace message? Boy, did you open the big door for me. I said, uh, heaven, no. <laughs> no, everybody's not preaching the grace message. The church uses the word grace, but it don't have... The revelation of the goodness of God through grace. That's the problem I said the other night. We've got people singing Amazing Grace that are not amazed by grace. Don't sing it if you're not amazed by it. I want to hear that. I want to see your eyes twinkle when you say Amazing Grace. I want to see the countenance change. I want to see that you really are amazed by the grace of God. I used to, wasn't amazed. I'm just telling you, I wasn't amazed by God's grace. We'd sing it, but I wasn't amazed by it. Because I'd like, God, you mess up, God gets you, man. I mean, he'll, I was living under that mixture of law and grace. But now in the pure, undiluted, undefiled, no mixing of the old wine and the new wine, grace. I'm blown away by the grace of God. I can't get over the grace of God. I'm not trying to get over it. I'm just, I, I, can't, I can't believe the grace. It's just, it's, it's better than I ever were told. And, and, and so here in this context, God's saying, I don't even see their wickedness. I don't see their iniquity. And so when Balaam, uh, Balak, uh, God's enemy, is trying to come against God's people, God says, you, you can't even blame that upon even any sin that they might be doing because when it comes to me taking the blessing off because of their sin, I see no iniquity, I see no wickedness, I see no, none not in all of Israel. And so this is a non, listen, a non-reversal of the blessing. Is this the only place that's it in the Old Covenant? No. You, you remember, uh, we see the non-reversal when Isaac spoke the blessing over Jacob Instead of Esau. Remember, Esau's the oldest. Remember that the oldest should get the, the birthright, the blessing. So we got these two brothers, Jacob and Esau, Jacob being the younger. And so now we see, uh, uh, we see Isaac there. We, 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 we see him old. He's blind. He can't see. Now listen, there's typology in this because when it comes to your sin, God's blind. He doesn't see. And so remember that uh, uh, Jacob's mom come up with this plan, and she said, I want you to get the blessing. Even though your father favors and loves uh, Esau because he's a man of the field and a hunter, and he's an outdoorsman, and you're kind of like a nerd and stay behind the computer all the time. And 
I'm being, but I'm, there, there's difference in the guys. But Esau was loved by his father. He's the oldest. Listen to me. He's the elder brother. And so she says, take and put on the hairy garments of your brother that smell like the woods, the field. And, and uh, your father loves venison, deer. And so uh, tell him that you're going to go out and kill a deer and prepare it because he loves that. It's his favorite meal. And, and then once he has that, uh, then he's going to release the blessing. And so uh, even though deception, listen to me, deception was there. You know that story. But he puts on his brother's garments. He goes in to his dad, and his dad's blind, so he can't see. But he can smell, and he can hear, and he can talk. And so he says, come near me, son. He said, are you Esau? He said, I am, father. He said, come closer. He feels of him, and he feels hairy, because Esau was a hairy man. And he says, yeah, that's, and he said, you smell of the woods. He said, the voice is Jacob. But he said, but the touch, you, you sound like Jacob, but you feel like Esau. That's a message right there, but that's a good title for And y'all want to preach one, that's a good one right there. <laughs> and, and then, listen, and even though he's being deceived, he speaks out of his mouth words and he releases the blessing upon Jacob, who, who, who doesn't deserve it, who is not rightfully deserving of that. It should go to Esau, but Jacob swoops in there and gets it. And so he receives the blessing. How did it come? Words. Now, once, as soon as Jacob leaves, it wasn't long before Esau, the real Esau, comes in. And he's like, he said, where do you come from, son? He said, I'm Esau, Dad. I, I killed him. Uh, I got this prepared. He said, I've already, you already did this. <laughs> he said, no, I haven't, Dad. And it said, then, then he trembled. And he really, he said, well, I've spoken the blessing. He said, surely in deceit, then your brother. That was your brother. Because he said his voice sounded like your brother, but it, I felt and, and the smell was of you. And, 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 he, and he cried out and said, Dad, don't, don't you have even one blessing left reserved for me? And, and he said, can't you reverse it? And he said, that that I've spoken, I've spoken. Can't reverse it. I can't take back the blessing. We, we don't even understand that as American people. But under that culture, because that's God's culture, kingdom culture, you can't reverse a blessing. You can't reverse a blessing. Do you know why he was blessed? Because he put on his elder brother's garments. Do you know that God will always find you? <laughs> God will always find you in the son that he loves. He will always find you. And if you want the blessing of God, you do have to dress up like your elder brother. You have to put on Christ and be in Christ Jesus. And it might sound like your voice, but it's actually Jesus Christ that's got the blessing. He's the elder brother. He's deserving of the blessing of the Father. He's loved by the Father. He's the beloved of the Father. That's what Paul meant, put on Christ. And so when you and I come before the Father, who is blind to our sins and don't see our sins, our sin is no hindrance to God, for he is blind to them. And when we walk in, you can use your voice, but you might sound like Dale, but you feel like Jesus. You might sound like Dale, but you smell like Jesus. You might sound like Dale, but you're my son. You're my eldest son. 
Woo, I'm about to run here, I'm telling you. Man, I used to hear these preachers would preach, you know, that you don't have to dress up like your elder brother to get the blessing of your father. I want to stand up and holler, yay, 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 that is a lie. You do have to dress up like your elder brother. You've got to be in Christ to receive the blessing of God. God's put us in Christ. And you've got to see that image. That's how it is when you come. We see the same non-reversal policy when it comes to Joseph. And now uh, Israel you know, Jacob, who's become Israel. Israel now is an old man, blind. He cannot see. He's down in Egypt with his son Joseph now. And Joseph has two sons, Ephraim and Manasseh. And he wants to have his father bless his grandsons. And so he has Manasseh, who is the oldest, and he has Ephraim, who is the youngest. And remember, his father is blind. Again, typology, he's blind to our performance, blind to our obedience, blind to our sin. And so Joseph comes in, and he very uh, strategically positions Manasseh to be uh, in a position to have Israel's right hand laid upon his head. And he positions Ephraim, the youngest, who is not deserving of the double portion blessing, to be positioned where when his father stretches his hand, his left hand will go upon Ephraim, the younger. And so as he begins to speak, uh, Israel, and it's a very solemn moment, very uh, uh, reverential time. And, and so obviously I could just picture all of them with their heads bowed and, and humility and as, as their old, this old patriarch now, Israel, begins to bless. And as he reaches his hands to bless, he does this. In case you don't know what that is, that's the cross. He crosses his arms. The Bible says knowingly. Man, I'm chill bumps are pushing my coat off my back this morning. He, he knowingly crosses his arms. And he places his right hand of blessing and power upon the young Ephraim and his left hand upon Manasseh. Manasseh means, his name means to cause to be forgotten. Ephraim means double portion blessing. Our Savior has caused us to forget our shame. And to forget our sin and does not look upon our iniquities, does not deal with us based on our sin, but he deals with us now based upon his son. And, 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 he, and now we have received what rightly should have went to our Manasseh, who is Jesus. But Jesus took upon himself the curse so that we could take upon the blessing. He took upon himself sin so that we could be the righteousness of God. He was separated his, from, from his father so that we would never be separated again. Nobody can reverse this. And the Bible says that when Joseph saw it, he reached and grabbed his daddy's hands, Israel's hands, and he tried to manipulate them right religiously. And his daddy might have been old and blind, but he still has some strength. And he said, mm-mm. And then when Joseph couldn't pry his hands off of his son's head, get him on the right head, he says it, it says it displeased Joseph. And he cried out, not so, Father. Not so. I told you this some months ago. In the message. So many Christians live under not so. 
I'll tell them they're the righteous of God and they'll go, not so. I'll tell them, you're the blessed of the Lord, God, nothing will ever remove it. Not so. So you go to the wrong church, you've got to get out of that not so church. Because all the promises of God are yes and amen. <laughs> I don't care if they told you it's not so. I'll write articles and post them on the internet and tell you that you're righteous and God's not angry with anybody and they'll come behind me and pile, you know, not so. A bunch of not so's, not heads. But they can't convince me that it's not so, it is so. <laughs> you, you, you see this all in the scripture. Because one day, God would lead his son to the Mount Calvary and he wouldn't just cross his arms, he would place his son on the cross. And we who were not deserving of the blessing of Manasseh would now be recipients of the free gift of God's grace bestowed upon us. And we would be declared righteous, sinless, and spotless because of what our Manasseh, Jesus Christ, did on that cross. That is such good news. It, it, it shows, you know, this thing, words are so powerful. You, I, the thing I do love about the story of Balaam is when he's just, one time God told him, he said, listen, he said, don't, don't go with these men. He commanded him, God said, do not go with these men of Balak. Uh, and, and so Balaam tells him, God told me I can't, I don't have permission. They come back and say, we'll, we'll increase the, the honorarium. We'll pay you more. So then he goes back to the Lord again and says, like, any way that I might could go, Lord? <laughs> you know, he started leaning towards the money thing. And, and God says, this is what, listen, you can read all this in number 23 and 24. But he says, God says, if they come to you and they ask you to go with them, then go with them. But don't say anything until I tell you. And then the next verse says, then when morning came, uh, Balaam went. And saddled his donkey and went with the men. And then the next verse says, and God was angry because he went. Now this is before the cross now. So God was angry in the old covenant because of sin. But the new covenant removed his anger. Because Jesus bore the sin and wrath of all men. But listen to me. But, so if you, if you don't read that carefully, you'll go, that kind of sounds schizo. Because God told him to go, just don't say that. Now God's angry because he's good. Remember what God said? You got to miss God said if they ask you. They didn't ask him. Balaam just took that little bit of a, little bit of a, uh, you know, privilege there, and he just took off anyway because he wanted that money. And, and and then as he's traveling, God positions an angel with a sword in a narrow place, and so Balaam's riding on Balaam's donkey. I could really preach this better if I could use King James language, but I. I upset y'all religious people, so I'm going to stay new King James and just call it a donkey. But uh, the, the donkey sees better than the prophet and sees the angel of the Lord. And so he resists, or she resists. She's actually a female donkey. She resists and doesn't want to go. Because um, she sees better than he sees. And then, so Balaam starts beating her with a rod. And then she's resisting even further. And then he still continues to beat upon her. And then she finally just crushes him against the wall and, and crushes his foot. And then Balaam's really mad now. And, and see, a lot of y'all preach that. You hear it preached that the Lord spoke through the donkey. And that's a lie. 
That's not what the Bible says. God didn't speak through no donkey. The Bible says the Lord opened her mouth and allowed her to speak. And so, and she's identified as she. And so then it says she spoke to Balaam. And she said, now, why have you beat on me? You know what, you know, and, and I'm just telling you, I'm paraphrasing, but that's what it says. You, you know this. She said, why have you beat on me now these three times? I could just see her doing this right here. <laughs> she said, why are you beating on me? And, uh, and then Balaam says, I wish I had a sword. If I had a sword, I'd kill you right now. That's what he said. She said, why have you beaten on me with that rod? He said, I wish I had a sword. I'd kill you. I'd kill you. <laughs> I mean, I'll kill you right now. I'm so mad. Nice prophet, right? Man, he lost it. I'm going to kill you right now. And then she replies to that. She says, haven't I been your donkey? Haven't I always? And then she, she uses a big word for a donkey. She said, I thought it was a big word. She said, have I ever been disposed to behave like this before? This is an educated donkey. It's a Harvard donkey or something. This donkey got some education. She said, have I ever been disposed to treat you like this before? Have I not transported you and hauled you faithfully all these years? And, and, and he says, yes. <laughs> this, to me, is no different than Eve talking to a serpent. Seemingly, no surprise, I see a prophet talking to an animal, and he don't seem to be freaked out that she's talking to him. And so then the donkey, she, she starts really kind of wading in there, giving it to him. And it's like God, God says, okay, girl, I got this. And God says, if she hadn't have done what she'd done, you'd be a dead man. And then it said the Lord opened up Balaam's eyes, and then he saw the angel of the Lord standing with his sword drawn. And it said he fell and said, I have sinned. I have, he realized his blindness then. Now, why would, listen, why would God... Go to such lengths to stop a man from saying words if words didn't have the power. Words have the power. And if you would stop begging God about things and start speaking the word, I've sent my word and healed. You have to declare the word of the Lord. One of the hardest things for me to kind of get interwoven in me, I'm just being honest with you, is this thing of speaking to your mountain, speaking to the fig tree. Because to be honest with you, when I first started that, it makes you feel kind of silly, you know. I mean, you know, a knot will come up on your body and you'll go, I command you not, and you're talking to it. But if you read the New Testament, that's how Jesus and all of his apostles behaved. A fever comes upon Peter's mother, and Jesus didn't speak and pray to God to do something. He spoke to the fever. He cursed the fever. Jesus spoke to the fig tree. And he used that as a lesson that he says, y'all need to understand that this is how the kingdom works, that you, you can have what you say, but you've got to believe what you say to have what you say. Who will ever say unto this mountain, be thou removed, and not doubt in his heart will have what he says. I was telling somebody the other day, and I, I mean, you, it's the power of those words. So you speak to the storms. You don't pray to God. So all these people on the Internet, when all these hurricanes and stuff coming through, they say, let us ask God to, you know, you know God, they put out all these posts. Let's, let's, let's pray and ask God to turn the storm. And I would read that and go, that ain't going to work. That would be like you praying and asking God to cast out the demons. He told you to cast out devils. He didn't, there's not one time he told you to pray for that. He didn't tell you to pray for the sick. He told you to heal the sick. You see, all kind of sick folk in Acts healed. Nobody's ever been prayed for in Acts, though. 
The way we pray in the church is not anywhere close to the way the New Testament apostles and, and people operated. They would just say, in the name of Jesus, stand up. We go, oh God, would you, could you? I'm powerless, I'm a worm, I don't know anything, have anything, I'm nothing. Oh God, would you, could you please come on now? You know, I'm going to throw the dice, maybe I'll hit a seven this time. Come on God, you know. You might, but you don't. Sometimes you will. Sometimes you won't. Come on, God, would you come through this time? Spin the wheel. Price is right. Will I get a hundred? Come on. Give me a It's just ridiculous. <laughs> and we wonder why it don't work. We have really got a long way to go culturally to change our mentality and so that we have confidence to speak to those diseases. Curse the cancer. People don't like to hear that. They're wasting time. See, because people don't like to admit that they're powerless. They just want to blame it all on God. Well, we don't know, Brother Dale. Sometimes the Lord will. You know, no, no, no. And that's a whole other message. But I was thinking about this imagery. I was going to say this and actually do it sometime. But anyway. But I wanted to say, like, I'd walk up to somebody this morning and say, listen, I want to give you a dead rose. You know, who would want a dead rose? And I don't know what even the response to that would be. I've never done that before. This is just, these, are, these are weird things that go through my mind. So I said, I would like want to come up to a lady, and I said, well, I want to present you with this dead rose. I want to give you a dead rose. And I got it in the box so she can't see it. And she don't really want a dead rose, but she would probably, you know, if I did that list, she'd be sweet and trying to say, well, he's trying to do some kind of, you know, example or something. I'd just be sweet and take it. And I would open the box and, and pull out this most beautiful red rose and hand it to her. And really, there would be shock on her face and yours. Because you, this is what you would say. I thought he said he was going to give her a dead rose. And see, what you thought I was going to hand her was a rose that was red now has turned black and wilted and the petals are falling off and the, 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 the uh, leaves are withered and so forth and it's brown and not very attractive and it doesn't have a fragrance any longer and, and it just really should be thrown and, you know, and disposed of and cast away. And that's your image in mine of a dead rose. But I would hand her this beautiful, oh, it smells so wonderful. And you say, well, that's not a dead rose. I declare to you it is a dead rose. It was dead the moment it was cut severed from its root it died at that moment and if you believe that if I could get you to believe that about that beautiful fragrant red rose I might could get you and persuade you to believe that about your cancer your tumor your finances your problems because if you would declare and say I know I don't care how beautiful it looks how fragrant it is how green and pristine it looks because when Jesus spoke to that green fig tree and says I command no man to eat fruit of you I command you to die nobody said anything because nobody saw an immediate re reaction but the Bible said all of his disciples heard him speaking it's so silly for a grown man to be standing there talking to a tree and it feels like in the body of Christ it's so silly for us in the body of Christ to be standing there talking to an x-ray or talking to an empty checkbook or talking to a, to, to a doctor's report but I tell you, that's the way the kingdom operates because it operates with words spoken in faith and in belief in God's word. And, and, and so if I can get you to believe that a beautiful, fragrant red rose cut off from its roots is dead, just going to take a little bit. Now, I don't care how pretty it is and how much the devil lies to you and tries to convince you that is a live, viable rose. It is not. It has been, the ax has been laid to the root. It has been severed from its source. And so when you and I in faith would speak to cancer, be it in our bodies or one somebody else's that we love, and we believe it, when we get to the point that we will actually believe what we say, and we believe words have power because they're God's words,
and we go, cancer, I curse you. I declare the ax is laid to the root of this cancer. I command you to die and be dried up. And yet you go to the doctor the next day and he shows you a fragrant red rose. Smells like cancer, looks like cancer. It's viable. There's an x-ray. It proves it. No, no, it's the dead rose. It's dead cancer. I, you know, and I found myself after, and I told you this. I think I told you this. I don't know. Talk to me, people. But, oh, July was a year ago. They give me some kind of bad little. Uh, well, you know, I don't, I don't even like to talk about it. See, I have trouble. But I was diagnosed with something that they said could kill me. Home heart surgery, all kind of stuff. And, and they got the echo to prove it. I mean, I was in medical 20 years. I'm watching them do the echo. Doctor said, man, your echocardiogram looks like a, 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 mosaic, a mo, what you call it? mosaic painting. And if you know anything about echoes, they're not supposed to be like that. It's supposed to be all blue or all red, but it ain't supposed to be a mixture of both. That shows a lot of nasty going on, a lot of mixture. And uh, it ain't good. Man, that hit me like a ton of bricks. I just went to the doctor for my six months. What even my physical? You know, you go, you get your physical, and then six months later you go, and, and they had me on some little medicine, you know, and, and uh, something else, and so uh, cholesterol or whatever. And, and, you know, but you have to go physically every six months because they draw your blood again, check you out, and, you know, and they won't refill your prescription if you don't. So my doctor ain't even there. They come, I'm just there to kind of get prescriptions re-upped, you know, just, you know, wasting my time. I'm just really, and they come in with a, a, a lady from uh, Emory who was doing her, uh, uh, yes, thank you, her residency at the doctor's office. She was, you know, doing that. They said, do you mind if she just listens to you today, takes your vital signs, and just kind of uh, is in here, you know, as we do the little preliminary? I said, sure. They said, can she do them? I said, sure. I'm like, you know. So she listens, you know, and stuff like that. And I, I watch her listen a long time. I'm thinking, well, she's a student. She's learning. She's trying to make the most of it, you know, like that. And, uh, and so in a little bit, she, uh, but she was actually in there by herself. So she folds up the stethoscope and, and walks out. And I thought, well, she's a student. She's probably got to go talk to the nurse practitioner and, you know, tell her what she, you know, whatever. And a little bit, nurse practitioner comes back in there with her. And then she gets the stethoscope and listens. And then I knew then, uh-uh. I mean, so she listens for a long time. And she, she says, Miss Jones, you got a heart murmur, a loud one. I said, well, I ain't never had one before. She says, you got one now. And then they went out like I was going to die before they get me out of the office. They said, we got to get a hold of Dr. Johnson. We got to let you see him quickly. She said, he's not here today, but we're going to set you up like tomorrow next day. And then I went and saw Dr. Johnson. He said, oh, you got to get to a cardiologist quick. Oh, you go, we got to do echo on you fast. He said, I got to send you to Emory. And then it just starts downhill from there. And even though I preach this gospel every week, I got afraid. I'd like to tell you, I stood there, man's faith and power, but I didn't. I wimped up like a chicken. <laughs> I'm like, I'm scared. Then I'm thinking, this ain't fair. And I know the fair comes in the fall where they sell candy apples, and I know this ain't got nothing to do with it. But it took me a few days just to kind of regain my position. And then I kind of got mad and got frustrated. And, and then I just said, well, I just told my wife, and I thought it was a pretty neat statement at the moment. I just said, well, I, what can I do about it? I mean, I just believe for healing, that it be manifested. I know Jesus did it 2,000 years ago, same thing I preach. I said, I need to live. What am I going to do? Everybody was like, what you going to do? What you going to do? I said, I'm just going to live till I die. What can I do? I'm going to live till I die. 
I've been saying that for a year, off and on, very, very few times, because I don't like to talk about it. I don't hardly ever talk about it. I, I don't talk about it to anybody. I don't even talk about it to my wife. And uh, so the other day, you know, something come up again about it and different things. And, and I just said, well, Jill, I'm not just going to live until I die. What can I do? I'm just going to live. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to preach till I die. I'm going to do, you know, and they tell me you're going to start getting this. And, you, you know, for long, you ain't going to be able to ride that bike six miles every day. You're going to get short of breath. Or, you, you know. And all that gets in your mind. Because you know they're not lying to you necessarily. But you got to decide if you're going to believe, like we sang that old song, you're going to believe the reporter of the Lord, you're going to believe, you're going to put more confidence, which, you know. And so the other day I said that, and I said, well, I just, what am I going to do, Gio? I'll just live till I die. I ain't going to worry about it. I'm going to live till I die. And I heard the Lord say, son, is that what I say in my word? Is that the confession that I've told you to make? And I knew immediately. I'm like, God, why won't you let me say it for a year before you correct me? Good gracious. Maybe I couldn't hear. He said, my word says, this is the confession. I will live and not die. And I will declare the works of the Lord. That's what my word says. But you're not saying, son, what my word says. You're saying what Dale says. That's something you're saying to comfort yourself. But that's not what my word says. You're going to have to confess my word. You're going to have to come into agreement with my word. And so now my confession has changed. And never again. And I said, Lord, I repent. I changed my mind. I will not say that anymore. I, I, I will not say that. Now I will say what your word says. And so now when those pressures and stress and they're giving me all this, then I just say whether I'm saying it to them or not. But I say it to myself. I say it to my wife. I will live and not die. I will declare the works of the Lord. I will live and not die. I will not live till I die. That's stupid. And I'm the one that was saying it. And I haven't got it all figured out yet. And I'm walking by faith. And I'm growing in wisdom and, and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and I'm trying to get all that religion, you know, squeezed out of me so that I can, I can walk in the fullness of what God says. Some of us, sometimes you wrestle over, you know, do I take this pill or not? And if I take the pill, you know, that means I don't have faith in God. Well, listen, that ain't got nothing to do with nothing. Let's say taking your pill was sin. Or was a lack of faith, which is unbelief, by the way, which is biblically sin. Are you with me now? So, but here you are, a little Christian, and some of you are struggling over things in your life. You're trying to believe God, and you want to see it manifested. And you make the same declaration, by his stripes I was healed. But yet, the manifestation of that, where they can pick it up at the doctor's office sometimes, is slow to come. And it gets confusing, and it gets frustrating. And, and if you're not careful, you'll start looking within to try to find a reason why it hadn't happened. I want to promise you it's not your sin. Because your sin, you have a zero sin balance in your sin. There is no sin account. But let's just say taking a pill was sin. I just told you God keeps no record of your sin. So that wouldn't stop God from healing you. So if you feel like you need to take your pill until your thing manifests, be at peace. And don't let no other Christian judge you and make you feel less than if you want to take your pill or you don't want to take your pill, I, that ain't for me. That's for you and your doctor to decide. Okay? But I realized the other day that the pill they had me on, because all of a sudden I, they put me on this and they diagnosed me with all this and they started throwing these pills to me. And then all of a sudden I started having symptoms. My sweet little wife kind of thought I got it in my head, you know, a little bit. And I didn't know. I mean, but I never researched all that because I'm really not the guy that wants to get on the Internet and read about all this things. I don't want it in my mind. And so the other Friday night my son called me who... Him himself has a heart situation, and, and uh, 
but he's a paramedic as well. And he, he said, Dad, have you even researched the pill they got you on? I said, no, son. He said, I have. He said, that's a calcium beta blocker heart pill they got you on. He said, they might have told you it's a blood pressure pill, and it does have some impact on your blood pressure, but he said, that's a heart pill. And uh, I was feeling so bad. That's why he called me, because I was having a rough little go there. I've had about a month of it. And uh, so I didn't know. Even when, I mean, I'm not trying to get a purple heart or nothing, okay? I'm just trying to be real and just tell you I'm a real human, and this treasure's in an earthen vessel. When I went up the other night with you guys at the House of Grace, I was running 102, 3 temperature on Tylenol. <laughs> now, that don't make me a martyr. See, you didn't even know it. See how good God is? My wife like, I can't believe you're going to walk out this house running out high fever. And I said, well, I just don't want to miss. I said, I believe the Lord will give me enough strength to go preach to them guys and come home. So when I got all the way from Sparks, I run the heat in my truck. I got heated seats. Thank God for that. Man. I got heated seats, and I run heat all the way home. Freezing, you know, with a fever. You know how it makes you feel. Got home, put a heavy coat on, sat there, watched TV to bedtime. Then I had to get up 3 o'clock in the morning and go get towels and put on my bed sheets because they were slopping wet now from sweat. Did that three or four nights. Threw up three or four nights. Sorry to say that. I can't figure out why I'm getting nauseated. You know? I don't know what's going on. Then you go to the doctor, and, and because of your history, they act like you're going to die before they can get you out there. So I go to a doctor here in Valdosta at the clinic. The they've been well, three chest x-rays, EKG, sent me to Smith Northview, stat blood cultures. They said, I think you got endocarditis. This was on Thursday, and we're going to call you this afternoon and let you know. And, and she said, when I call you now, you, if it's positive, and I think it's going to be, you've got to come back to the office because we've got to admit you to a cardiac unit and get you IV antibiotics going on you. So I'm going to call you back this afternoon now. So have your phone. Yes, ma'am. You think she called? I say nay, barely nay. She did not call. Friday at lunch, I called them. Well, we don't have your report. I'm like, well, so much for stat. Because if you don't know, stat means quickly. She said, well, we'll call you before the end of the day today. You think they called? Nay, barely, they did not call. So Monday I called, and by Monday at lunch, I'm about not saved anymore in regard to this issue. And I'm trying to be sweet to the little girl at the desk because I know it ain't baby girl's fault, but I'm saying, you're the only one I'm getting to talk to, so you're going to have to hear it. I said, now, y'all told me Thursday that I might have endocarditis, which is an infection of the inner lining of the heart, and that I might have to be on the IV cardiac unit. And here we are Monday, and y'all ain't told me nothing. And I said, by the way, I'm paying the bill for this. So I said, y'all need to go back there and tell somebody. They best be calling me today. Because I said, y'all don't want me to come down there. <laughs> and I'm trying to remember my ministry and that I'm a pastor in Valdosta, but <laughs> I'm about ready to blow it. So at 4.30, I got a call. Sweetest person, sweetest lady, so kind. Asked me how I've been feeling, everything. She was just sweet. And so I was sweet back. She said, you do not have endocarditis, but you need to do this. But you do, your platelets ain't right, so you need to come back and let us do that. Really? I said, how low are they? She said, well, you, I, said I don't know what number. It's supposed to be 25, you're like a 24. I said, I think I'm going to be good with that. So that Friday night, Austin calls me, then Saturday, and I, I got to end this, but Saturday I've researched my medicine. 
Now, I'm not telling you to do nothing. I'm just trying to save my world, okay? And hopefully in some of this there's some encouragement for you. Five serious side effects from that pill. I'm manifesting all five of them. That's why I'm having all the symptoms. Even the pill said it could give me a heart attack. The, the doctor said that you're not supposed to have your heart to work hard because it's already working double hard with every single beat. So we want your heart to be relaxed. This medicine said it causes pounding of my heart. My heart has been pounding so loud. Some, you might think I'm exaggerating. For, for, I'm not. That it would, My heart would keep me awake lying in bed. Sounds like somebody's got a drum going on. Now, I'm not saying this is wisdom, whatever, and y'all can just say, well, we, we heard him say that. And, you know, but anyway. But I ain't took one pill since then. I feel much better. I feel much better. Um, now, I'm not saying I'm not going to take a pill because I already got regular scheduled appointment with my cardiologist, I, you know. But I'm going to tell him, I said, I'm going to say, Doc, now you put me on this and, you know, I want you to be mad at nothing, but 45 days ago, I quit taking it. And uh, you can kind of check me out, but uh, I tell you what I ain't going to do. I ain't taking that one again. So you got to find another one. You know, one that has less killing in it. Because <laughs> I'm taking that one. This would be my greatest struggle as a believer in how do I manifest the healing that Jesus so freely provided by his stripes on his back. And I confess that to you. I have seen miracles, so many miracles, especially during the Feast of Tabernacles. I have experienced miracles myself. I have had during the Feast of Tabernacles, the Lord spoke to me on a Friday and said, I want this. Tonight there will be healing of plates and screws and a little finger. <laughs> I'm just telling you that. I have so weird that it had to be God. And I went to the church that I pastored some years ago. Some of you were there. Some of you know this. Pastor Keith was there. And that night, I guess which one I started with, I called out. I said, someone's here with a little finger that's causing you problems. And I said, who is that? So you want to be used to God, you got to do that, have that moment of faith right there. Because what if nobody says? And believe me, I've been doing this for a long time. They, they, they've, not, they've not said. And they leave you looking like a fool in front of everybody. And then they meet you in the parking lot by your truck and say, well, I was that person with a little finger. I just didn't want to come forward. And, and they're wanting prayer, and I'm on the punch. <laughs> do you realize how bad you made me look? How unanointed you made me look? <laughs> but it ain't about us, is it? So a lady said, finger. Quickly, the Lord healed that finger right there instantly before us. And then I said, there's someone here with, you have uh, bone, it's bone injury. I said, you have plates and screws, and the Lord wants to heal you. But you have to have faith to speak out what God says. But see, that faith that I speak out, it gives those people their faith to increase. It ain't that God decided that night to do that. God healed 2,000 years ago, it's, but God's trying to get the people to believe. That's why he gives us the gift of the Holy Spirit, because these gifts help our, get, get our faith in Jesus. Not, not to be amazed at the person that he's using, but put our faith in him. So I called that out, and, and, and a lady in my church uh, who had broken her ankle here actually in Valdosta nine years prior, who had eight titanium screws and plates in her ankle was screwed together, immobile, and lost the plantar flexion ability to move the ankle up and down. You understand? I'm giving God glory. Listen to me. But when I said that, I asked for people that had those type problems with plates and screws to come forward. You don't know if there's going to be one, 20, or zero person. You just do it by faith. There was probably, if I'm not, not, I remember five or so people that came forward. 
So they can't, do you know that the lady that, that received that tremendous miracle didn't even come forward? She was so shy. Her husband even elbowed her and said, you need to get down there. He's talking about you. She said, the Lord can heal me right here. Now, you might think that was a sign of unbelief for now God's going to be mad at her because she didn't come to the altar. No, no. That was actually a statement of faith. She said, the Lord can heal me right here. And she said, and I didn't know all this was going on. I don't have a clue. But she told me later when, the next day when, we, when I heard the testimony from her, that she said when she said that, the Lord can heal me right here, she immediately felt tingling and heat in her ankle. She didn't even tell her husband. Because you don't know what that means. I mean, what does that mean? She goes home after the service, and they have high steps, very high country steps. Some of y'all know, you know. But anyway, so she told her husband, you go in, I'm going to start here and pet the dog a minute, and I'll come in. So he's, because their ritual is to have a coffee, drink a coffee before they go to bed, you know. He says, the devil's lighted, it keeps you up, he don't. So anyway, he likes to have a cup of coffee, him and his wife. So uh, in a few moments, she hasn't come back into the home. So he told me the next day, he opened the door and he called her by name. He said, what are you doing out here? Are you going to come in or not? Because he said it had been about 10 minutes. He done had the pot of coffee made. He had drank coffee and whatever. And, and she said to her husband, she said, watch this. And, she, and, and, she, and so they had those high steps. So she was standing down here. So she said, watch this. And so she did this. And as soon as she did that, he started crying. Because you know your wife. Because this is how she always had to maneuver steps. Because see, that, that ankle wouldn't move. But when he saw her do that and remembered what we just prayed, he started crying. She started shouting. They told me they went into the house and, and started shouting and crying and praising and crying and laughing and praising. So next morning, I don't know any of this has occurred, but I just declared the word of the Lord. Eight o'clock next morning, phone rings. Well, even while I'm in the shower, I get out, phone rings again, and it was the husband. And this is why I'm telling you the story that he's told me. And he said, Brother Dale, you just don't see this. He was like a little kid to me. It broke my heart in a good way. He said, you just don't see this. But you see it, but you don't see it. But you see it, but you don't see it. And he said, we just, and, and he couldn't even talk straight. He just was just talking crazy. And he said, you know, we didn't even sleep all night last night. He said, we've been up all night. He said, we would shout and cry and praise and laugh and dance and praise. And he said, we ain't been able to sleep all night. We're so excited. He said, that's why I couldn't wait for 8 o'clock to come where I could call you and just tell you what God did last night. And I always thought, you know, I'd like to see the x-rays. You know, i like, did God dissolve the screws? Did the plate go? Whatever. And, but it don't matter. And, and, and I, I'm ending with this. I'm, but the, the, and what makes that such a cool miracle? That's a miracle now. That's not a healing. Okay, got to keep them straight. None of this is in the notes, his last little session. But listen, she, she had had knee replacement by an orthopedic surgeon. So a week prior to this miracle of her ankle, she was in the orthopedic surgeon's office, you know, and he was releasing her, you know, for however long months she'd been with him. And she said, Doc, I know this is my last day, you know, and, and my knee and all is doing good and thank you and all. She said, I just want to ask you a question because he was the same guy that did the surgery nine years prior. She said, is there any way that you can do anything with my ankle? She said, because it swells a lot, particularly with weather changes and all. And a lot of times I can't wear them pretty shoes that I want to wear. And uh, is there anything that you could, uh, could you take the plate and screws out and would that make the swelling, you know, go away where I could wear pretty shoes and uh, – and he said, no. He said, I don't think it would have any bearing 
on that. And he said, I want to tell you something. He said, you wouldn't want to endure the pain of me taking the place. He said, I could take them out as a surgeon. I can take them out because your bones now have fused. And they are immobile, and it's not the plates and screws any longer that are holding them. It's your bone itself. So, yes, I could remove the, the eight titanium screws and the plate, but you have lost plantar flexion. And so you will never, ever, he said to her, ever be able to move, you know, have plantar flexion of your, your ankle. But, but, you know, it's better, than, it's, it's better to, you know, have, be able to walk. And she said, well, I was just wondering, you don't think Daddy loves his youngins? And he hears a doctor tell his daughter that she'll never be able and he was speaking medically and he's not a he's a great doctor i know him and uh, but a week later while i was in prayer on friday afternoon for the service the lord spoke and said i want to heal and there was no precedence in my life or ministry nor in my faith to ever i've never seen or heard of a testimony of god in my ministry of god healing of plates and screws but i had enough faith in him that when i heard him tell me that that i would just humble myself before the people and look like a fool if I must, but I would release the word of the Lord. And when I released plates and screws, and I said, if you have plates and screws and you want to be healed of that, then come forward. She didn't even come, but she said, the Lord can heal me here. And Papa just wants you to have just a measure of faith, just a little mustard seed of faith is all it takes. And, that, and when she said, the Lord can heal me right here, immediately she felt that tingling and that heat go into that right ankle. And between there and when she got home, it was all taken care of by Papa. And she was totally healed. And she's been healed ever since then. And give God praise for that. Amen. Would you stand with me? So as we conclude, at least our part, ministry team come, elders come for prayer. If we... As we conclude our part of the Feast of Tabernacles, I don't want you to ever lose expectancy in a good, good father. You know what I just did today? Some of you know, some of you don't. I don't mean that insulting. The Bible says in Revelation that the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Some of you are here and you would like for me to come back to your place. Some of you would be terrified if I did that. But some of you would like for me to come and prophesy to you the secrets that only you and God know. You know what that would cause? Your faith would go sky high because you would say that man has no way of knowing this. And your faith would go so high that in that moment you could receive what grace provided for you 2,000 years ago. If you're in this place today, I'm saying if because God hadn't said anything to me. But I just, I do know this. I just gave testimony. But if you have problems with bones, broken bones that didn't mend properly, if you have plates or screws in you and their things are causing you problems, hurting you, swelling, whatever, if you want to be healed of that today and receive what grace has provided, I want you to step out in faith from your place and you come down here. Because I just testified of my Jesus and what he done for this woman and what he will do for one he's done for all he's done for all and you will not suffer Aaron and Sandra would you please help me down here in prayer pray as you feel led or go to whomever you feel led my goodness are you telling me that this many people with bones and are, are you got, I mean in other words all of y'all are coming that's wonderful but are you telling me that all of you are coming here because of plates and bones? how many of you got plates and screws my goodness my goodness. No, it ain't my goodness. It's the Lord's goodness. Listen, it don't matter whether you feel something or don't feel it. All that matters is what do you believe? Do you believe the testimony that I just gave was true? Do you believe that God's done that with that lady 
He's done it. And I want to declare to you now, right now, just re- lift your hands and receive. That's all you got to do. It's, it's not my touch on your head. It's not me. It's him. Lord, we declare your word. You sent your word and healed them. Lord, let them receive right now, freely, what grace has provided. I say to you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, be healed. I command those bones to be made whole. I command those screws and plates to loosen and to allow movement where there's been no movement. To cause that miracle to happen in their body. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Now right now, don't even think. Just start trying to do what you couldn't do. Move if, you, if it's possible for you to move. Do what you couldn't do. Take a step in that. If you say you couldn't move your arm, then, then try to move it. I'm not telling you to hurt yourself. You ain't got to play no games here. We're not playing no games. Just move. Do, do something. Take a step. Father, we thank you. We thank you, Lord. Come on, give God praise. Give him praise. Hallelujah. Even as I've gone and traveled and speak, and I don't do it as much quite as I used to, uh, got some appointments coming up in different churches, but listen, when I give testimony in those places of what Jesus has done, be it a healing miracle or whatever, I, I see so, so more often away from the house, people receive those miracles. They receive. You know why? Because they don't see me every Sunday. They don't know me. They don't know. Your confidence is in God. It is in his, what he accomplished on the cross. And by his stripes, not by Pastor Dale's prayer, if I do pray, yes, I'm just agreeing with those stripes that's paid in full, the price, so that you and I can manifest the healing. And if it takes a while for that rose to die and the death to be evident, then sometimes it may take a while for the fig tree to wither. But just know that it happened below the surface. You can't see it. It's at the roots, Jesus said. And don't wait till you see the leaves falling off to believe that it worked. It's not that it was. No, no, it works when we believe it and say it. So we curse that cancer in the name of Jesus. We rebuke cancer from this body. That we declare that this is a cancer-free zone. That we'll not bury our people from death of cancer. We curse the cancer as Jesus cursed the fig tree in the name of Jesus. We command you to bear no fruit from this day forth and forever. We command that cancer to go out of your body in the name of Jesus and that you will not bear the fruit of death and pain and sickness and disease. I believe that. I've seen God heal in this house and I've seen God heal over and over of cancer. Cancer is not the big seed. Christ is the big seed. The anointed one. Jesus. So Lord, we declare whatever you need. Don't wait for me to call out something. But whatever you need, just stick your hand up as an act of receiving. If I was going to throw you a football, I want to see your hands up so you're ready for it. Put your hands in the air and say, Father, I receive. Freely I receive what grace is freely provided. Whether it be healing, financial provision, mending of relationships and families, whatever it is, Lord, we receive it in Jesus' name. We receive it, Father, in Jesus' name.
Praise God. We, we have a brother over here that he came, he came up and he, he believed God. He has plates and screws in his back and in his, in his arm. Um, I usually don't tell people, but my, my elbow hurts all the time. Ever since I was in college, I had pins in my elbow. And it just hurts all the time, but I didn't want I don't want to bother anybody. You know, I just pray to God, you know, that, you know, I'm just gonna tolerate the pain for the rest of my life. I decided I'm gonna have that measure of pain for the rest of my life. But they came and they prayed for me and they touched my elbow, and I, I don't feel anything anymore. Jesus, Jesus. Come on, give God praise. You don't have to tolerate the pain. You don't have to learn to live with it. Enjoy living without it. Hallelujah. 